this is a day to sing because it's Easter, but if you take a moment with me, I'd like to talk to you and think about what Easter is. You know, sometimes we associate Easter with things like eggs, with spring. Even the name Easter, right, we think comes from a a, a secular festival of springtime. Green leaves, soft pastels, flowers blooming, and it's not wrong, you know, it's about new life, Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. I'll say the other side because I can't hear you. He's risen indeed. It's the final scene of an incredible story, right? It's in all four gospel accounts what we look at today. The dawn of a quiet morning, a still morning, with the women headed to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body with spices and wraps to keep the smell down. And they got there and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And the angel saying, why are you looking? He said he was going to rise from the dead and he is risen. And then, and then they saw him and he says, go tell the disciples and Peter especially, I will meet up with him in Galilee. And they run away amazed, not getting the implications yet, but, but you know, that's it. If you've been around at all, you've heard that story a hundred times or more. And it's, it's wonder. It's amazing. It's Jesus raised from the dead, just as he said. And, and okay, birds sing and peace reigns and sun breaks through the clouds. It's the great end to an amazing story like the last scene of a favorite movie or like a beautiful painting, this incredible scene frozen there forever, the empty tomb. And often I think of the story this way. It's the great end to this amazing story and and all of it's true, all of it's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with pastels or springtime or soft representations of the resurrection. It really is all that. But today, for a few minutes with you, I want to go beyond the pretty ending to the underneath and, and see what Jesus was fighting. What he won. Not, not in a cosmic sense, like the grand, vast scale that, that's true too, but what he won for you. What he won for me. Personally, it's a victory, right? We're celebrating a victory today. All the stories of the Bible pointed to this day, this wondrous event, this victory where one person someday would surprise the whole world by seeming to lose, but winning. A human who had crushed the serpent. A man mocked for building an ark when it had never rained. A human, a childless old man, promised a son. A bunch of slaves escaping an army. A few ragtag people routing a sea of soldiers. A young boy, really, slaying a giant. There's a victory coming, a surprising victory, and I wish we could feel it today. I start feeling it because of my background, and I was a runner. You wouldn't know it now. I think of running, and I think of the 1972 Olympics. I know it's the Munich Olympics. There were politics going on. But in this one race, it was the 800 meters. 800 meters is a tough race, you guys. I mean, it's like in between. It's not, it's not a distance race so much. It's a sprint race, but it's in between. It's super hard. And it was in the middle of the Cold War, and so there in lane one was the USSR runner. 
His name was was Evgeny Arzhanov. Ooh, I'm not even going to say it right. That's a Russian name, huh? Arzhanov. Formidable. Strong. And, and, and then a couple of Kenyans were in that field, and a German runner, and, and a strong British runner. And, 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 then, and then there was this U.S. guy, and he was this skinny guy. He was best known because he always wore a golf cap. His name was Dave Waddle. And the gun goes off, and, and then they start running, and, and Waddle is like dead last. In fact, the announcers, he's so far back, he's 10 meters, and he's 20 meters back, and they're like, boy, I wonder if he's like injured. He's had some knee pain. I, I think he's, something's wrong with him. But he keeps going, and these, they show the fast. You can watch it on, on YouTube sometimes. The fast ones are out in front, and he's way far behind. And the first lap ends, and he's still in last place. And the, only to the last 200 meters does he actually catch the next last person. And he's swinging along in his golf cap. And then in the last 100, coming off the corner, all of a sudden, it's like he flies. He passes runner after runner. And the very last step, he passes the Russian bad guy runner. And the guy in the golf hat wins. Oh, victory. Okay, maybe I'm the only one in tears. But it's an amazing, amazing thing. It's a surprise. And you know what? That's today. It's an amazing thing. Oh, that it might touch your heart. But victory victory in what way? It's not an 800-meter race. It's most easily understood in this little phrase in 1 Corinthians 15. Death swallowed up in victory. Here's the thing. Jesus broke death. His resurrection is about breaking death for you. When you look at an empty tomb, we think death has been broken for me. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal about that, Dax? Because not an insignificant number of people have actually been brought back to life. I've been involved in a few as a physician. You know, they've been out for 20 minutes, but with CPR and over time, all of a sudden they come to life again. You say, well, that's that's medical. That's not really what we're talking about. Well, yeah, even in the Bible, people are resurrected, right? Jairus' daughter. Uh, Lazarus. There's that guy who was sitting on the window. Do you remember him? Uh, Eutychus? And he fell asleep when Paul was teaching. He fell out the window and died. And he got resurrected. In the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha both resurrected people. So... What's special about this resurrection? Those other people got resurrected, but here's the thing. They died again. Jesus broke death. This is Jesus' mission, his battle, his war, not to make a more moral people or to make a strong church or to build an army. He came to rescue us from death. So, so I want you to consider with me for a few minutes, we won't take long, but how Jesus thought about death. And one of the most amazing stories to think about that is when Jesus was confronted by the death of someone he loved. So I, I want first to see, as we think about breaking death this morning, that first, let's consider when Jesus actually encountered death when he was here. 
when Jesus encountered death. So when he was on earth, he had a family he was really close to, Mary and, and Martha and their brother, Lazarus. And we see Jesus interact with death because Lazarus dies. And I want you to see that when Jesus encountered death. So let's turn over. It's in, it's in John chapter 11. Here's this amazing statement Jesus makes. We know we're in the right realm because he makes a statement like this. He says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus says, hey, I am this. I am the resurrection. Who I am is this life that's coming for you, you who are dying. It's interesting that when Jesus says this, Lazarus is already dead. And I want to pick up a little later in the chapter. This is the real interesting thing. So Jesus goes, hearing that Lazarus has been dead, and four days later goes to see him. Look. Verse 32. Now Mary came to where Jesus was. And saw Jesus, so she fell at his feet and said to him, Oh Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Hey, we think and we look at this and think Jesus just has grief for his friend. But I want you to just take this apart with me for a minute because the words here don't mean that. They're interesting words. When you say moved in spirit, which it says here, he was moved in spirit, that's not a word of, um, of, of grief. That's a word of indignation, of anger. It's kind of like you could get it like you would use it, the snorting of an animal, like girding for war. So maybe better to say he bristled. When Jesus heard it, he bristled. And then it says he was greatly troubled. That means stirred up himself, right? Inner turmoil, like a breaking waterfall, like the churning of, a, of, of, of waves. Some people say he's sad with Mary, but these aren't sad words. And he's not angry at their grief at death. He's about to weep himself. He looks at the pain and the suffering that death brings, and our Savior, when he was here, gets angry. It says he bristles. He's troubled because of the closeness to what he came for. He's God incarnate, and he's come to conquer death and sin. Conquer it. Without Jesus Christ, Lazarus dies for every forever and every single person who who's watching today dies forever because the enemy's right here and the the purpose of history is right here and mary and martha and lazarus all of whom jesus loves and he sees their suffering and he knows this is why he came and and so one of the commentators says jesus is shown here not so much to express empathy or grief as to bristle at his imminent encounter with an assault on death And so with this bracing, bristling, imminent encounter, it leads him to say this in verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Where have you laid him? I want to see it, says Jesus. So they take him there. This is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. I think it's the favorite verse for our Sunday school kids because when they have to memorize, this is the one they always memorize. Jesus wept. So first a bristling, and then a grief, a weeping. But like the prior verse, it's not so much about the death of his friend as the presence of death. Not his own death, not Lazarus' death, although tied together in death, this God incarnate tears up over the sadness and pain and suffering what death represents. And, and so it's super important for you today, super important no matter how you normally think, that you not think of death as a natural process. I was trained this way. We're taught in medical school to think of death as natural, right? Everything slowly dies. It's just part of nature. It's just what happens. It's normal. No. It's not normal. You say, well, but, but it says, doesn't it say that we, should, we last four score and seven years or whatever? No. It's not natural. You know this isn't natural. You know it in your heart when you see and when you experience the death of a child, the death of a parent, the loss, the severing of a relationship forever, that pit that says, no, there's something wrong about this. That death comes. Broken and gone. It's not just part of things. Because if you don't understand this, you won't get what's been done for you. So walk with me over for a minute. Look at why death comes to you. From Romans chapter 5. In verse 12 it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, it's talking about Adam, And death through sin, okay, so death came because of Adam's sin. But look what happened next. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Keeps going, but let me just make sure you see this. It says very clearly that death spread to all because everybody sinned. You sin, you catch the bug, you die. It's your sin that makes you die. I sin. I die. Law brings it about. You know, he goes on to say that the the sting of Seth is, is, is the law. It's like the law comes and highlights the idea, gives you knowledge that you sin. And, and so that knowledge becomes something that eats at you too. You deserve to die. Maybe 1 Corinthians 15 says it most clearly. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. So like a scorpion that you reach out and it stings you. That sin is the scorpion. And the sting is the death that comes. And it's poison in you. And you're going to die because you have sinned. It's not natural except in as much as everybody sins. This is worse than COVID-19. This is death spreading to everyone. There's a 100% mortality rate, and we even know the cause, sin. And you know what? We can't do anything about it. 
So when you came, when you came to Christ, and when you say this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, that's the same thing as saying, right? Jesus Christ came to conquer death. Because the reason for death is sin. And I, I die. So come back. Come back to Jesus, the Son of God. And now he's literally looking at the dead Lazarus. And Lazarus dies because of sin. Death is right there and the consequences of it, which is grief and sadness and suffering. And he knows, Jesus knows this is the problem. And he experiences it. He bristles at it. He weeps because of it. He's not passive and outside and cold. He's not heady. He's right there stirred up and the plan is in place and the glory of God in Christ is is going forward. He's going to die for our sin. But first look at him. Life is about what he does, you know. It's not that the adversary isn't a necessary improvement in your needed fidelity. The adversary is death because it's too late for you. You already have it. Here's Jesus. He's deeply moved, it says. Jesus deeply moved again, verse 38. Came to the tomb where Lazarus lay. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. It makes me think we're on the right track, right? It's the same word. Bristling. Bristling, Jesus came to the tomb. Herman Ritterboss, a Dutch theologian, said, He strides to the tomb, not in sovereign apathy of the great outsider, but as the one sent into the world by the Father, as the advocate who has entered human flesh and blood. If that's too high and mighty for you. Think what John Calvin says about this verse. Like a wrestler prepares for his contest. Jesus comes to the tomb. And Jesus says in verse 39, take away the stone. It's terse. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. This is many people's favorite line in the King James. Because it says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's rotting, right? Decomposition is setting in. Dead, stinky and dead. That should remind you of Ephesians 2. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. So we're focused in on this encounter today, but he's referring to earlier where he's already talked to Mary about this, Martha about this. He knows this is all about God's glory, but he wants to see the death. Show it to me. Let me see. So the stone gets rolled away and the smell hits him. (laughs) I don't know about you. I've been around some dead bodies. It's a smell that makes you want to run. Jesus doesn't run. He prays. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
It is said it's good that he included the name or every dead person in the whole earth would have risen. But but think on it. By his word alone, the dead rise. Lazarus is resurrected. Stinky dead, and, and I can't wrap my medical head around this. Stinky dead means that you're already decomposing. It means you're rotting. It means bacteria set in. And so there's a re-knitting, a, a, a re-coming together. A heart that starts beating again, a brain that's decomposing, reconstituted somehow, and and he does. By the call of Jesus, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Out comes the mummy. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So the picture is there, right? He was dead and he was bound. And by Jesus' word, the one who is the resurrection and the life, he was raised and freed. Amazing. (laughs) When Jesus encountered death and he bristled at it and he identified his adversary and he showed he was the resurrection and the life. Amazing. He is this. But have you heard of signs? Have you heard of types? Have you heard of the lesser pointing to the greater? Have you heard of those things? Because Jesus' encounter with death was a pointer to his breaking death. Breaking death. Because he didn't break death here. What do I mean? Because Lazarus was raised from the dead, and guess what he did? He died again. He's not still with us. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead and died again. The, the Shunammite son in the Old Testament raised from the dead and died again. Why? Because they kept sinning. Every breath, every thought is tainted for us with sin. And so what happens to us? We die. There's no hope for you in this. Not yet. They still sin. So why I'm flabbergasted, why I rejoice, why the resurrection sings to our hearts, it's not that we might be like Lazarus and live another time and see the spring come and new shoots come up again. No, it's that Jesus broke death. Look. Look at Romans. He broke it. 521. So that, Paul writes, as sin reigned in death... So grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see the change? The death of Jesus is so special because it leads to eternal life. Eternal life. Life forever in Christ, that was what he won. That was his victory. This is why we don't speak of increasing our own righteousness around here. His righteousness has won the day. Grace, God's riches at his expense, right? His righteousness, what he did, who, how he was, who he is, and the empty tomb. <laughs> yeah, it's a tomb. It says this, it says he does not die again. He lives forevermore and neither in his resurrection do we. We don't die anymore. The breaking of death is a breaking of the power of sin. 
Though our flesh may die, now our hope is this resurrection life that you and I have, that he's done it, he's conquered death. The breaking of death is the breaking of the power of sin. The power of sin is the law. The law is not life to us. The law is death to us because it condemns and declares we are not worthy. No one, no one will stand by the works they have done under the law. No one. It, de- it condemns us. It declares we're not worthy. And, and Jesus broke in. By grace, he gives true life, which is just by trusting that the tomb is empty. That he's done it, that it's finished, that all your sin is forgiven forever. Romans 8 puts it this way. For the law of the spirit of life, that's what Jesus has done, has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. You see, the law of sin and death, that's what Jesus conquered. What he did away with, the law of sin and death, because he became sin, that great exchange, and you are in him, righteous forever. You and I have died to the law already, that we might belong to someone else, to Jesus. This is what the resurrection is. It is the grand statement for all time that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has broken death. Not just, not just for him. For us too. You and I don't see it now. We only see the first fruits. That is Jesus who's gone before us. He lives. He lives. And you will too. Trust him. He has done it. We'll end with this amazing short passage in 1 Corinthians. Succinctly, gloriously, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This is the wonder of the resurrection, right? It promises that the perishable will put on the imperishable. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, he did not rise to die again. He rose imperishable. He has won immortality for us and eternal life with him. No matter what this world says, no matter what the law says to you, it has been silenced. And no matter how much death you see on this earth, the promise of God in Christ is death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, may you feel that this morning. It's not just a common story. It's not just history. It's not just the end to a good movie. We celebrate a victory today. He looks like nothing, this Savior. He wasn't anything to look at. It's like the guy in the golf hat, 20 meters back. The strong, good runners are out front and going. When all of a sudden, 
out of nowhere. He flies to the finish. He wins the victory. It's like nothing you've ever seen. And by that victory, He testifies to you today. He has conquered death. Death, where is your victory? It's been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus for you. You're forgiven, dear people. This is a day to rejoice. Happy Easter. He has set you free. Would you pray with me?